You're listening to the Source Property Podcast, your number one source of tips and tricks for starting your property business. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Source Property Podcast. I'm Pete Blackley, the Support Manager, and joining me today is Rose Robinson. Hi guys, my name's Rose, and I'm the Support Person for the North and Scotland. And on today's podcast, we're going to be looking at the risks and rewards of property. So initially, let's go over the risks in terms of voids. Yes, so voids is one of the big risks that people like to talk about or want to try and mitigate or sometimes prevents them from taking their journey and investing into property. And a void basically means is when your property is empty. So it may be empty because it's simply on the market. It may be empty because you're doing refurbs or it may be empty during the purchase process, waiting for you to collect the keys, etc. And all it means for that period is you're not going to generate any income. So if you're going to have a long void period, because a tenant's going to come to the end of the tenancy and a tenant's going to move out and you need to refurb it for three to six months, and then you need another 28 days of marketing, you could set aside the money to cover your mortgage and other outgoings during that time. If you're going to have a void period after completion, as well as saving up the deposit and the other purchase costs and monies to be able to purchase the property and refurb it, you should also put aside a little bit of cash as well to cover that initial void period. And I think this is where it's important to make sure that you are doing your due diligence to make sure there is demand for your strategy to you know, minimise the chances of having void periods in your property. Yep, and voids aren't that scary. They happen all the time. It's a business and you, know, you don't take your, your profit or your monthly income on a monthly basis. You look at over a 12 year period, like 12 month period, sorry, like any business or over a longer term if you've got a long-term investment over 25 years so you know a couple of months here and there of voids it's not a massive downer it's not something that's going to really drain your cost and in the grand scheme of things it's not a massive drop to your income because as i said property is a long-term thing so don't let a couple of month voids here and there prevent you from investing in property and you want to just elaborate a little bit more on terms of negative equity as well yeah, so negative equity is essentially when the value of your property drops so much that the balance of your mortgage is worth more than the property itself. So there's a lot of people potentially facing negative equity today because of the increase in mortgage rates and what's generally happening in the market. We've had wild predictions from 7%, 20% all the way up to 30% on what the market's going to drop. I'm not Mystic Meg, I've not got a crystal ball. I don't know whether the market's going to go up, whether it's going to go down. All I can tell you is some people will sell properties and some people will buy properties. And that's all I know that will happen within the market. So negative equity is a risk and it is a big risk. How you can avoid it? Nice and simple. Don't buy at the height of the market. Another way you can avoid negative equity is by putting in a higher deposit. But as they say in trading, you only lose when you sell. So if your property drops into negative equity and you need to sell it, yes, you're going to be left with a balance to pay on your mortgage. You're going to have to pay that straight away or negotiate with your lender to port that balance elsewhere or set up a payment plan if you're facing repossession. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, negative equity doesn't matter all that much because over the 25-year period that you're typically going to take that mortgage out and hold the property for, it's going to go up significantly in value. Okay. And in terms of developments, one of the risks that people often face is in terms of development overspend. So how do we mitigate that and you know what are the risks with that? 
Yeah, so firstly, development overspend is where you're going to obviously, as it says, spend more on your development than you initially budgeted for. So nice and simple way to do that and what a lot of experienced developers will do is they'll have a 10%, 20% margin built into their costings for overspend. So keep it simple, they're going to spend 100 grand on something, they'll have 100 grand in the bank but they'll also have another 10 grand in the bank as well should it overrun slightly. Things you can do is keep tighter tabs on it, employ the right team, have a QS, have the team around you to prevent you from overspending you know proactively source the materials yourself to reduce those and also develop within within the reams of what your tenants are going to be or within the reams of your buyers so i see it all too often in the northeast and i'm sure you guys see it elsewhere in the country people will buy a cheap property 50 60 grand and they'll spend 30 grand on it when really it was only ever worth 50k and the tenants there don't warrant that. They just probably wanted a you know a lick of paint, five grand refurb, kitchen bathroom, and move the tenants in. So there's lots of things you can do to reduce the the spend on a development. Okay. <clears throat> and would you like to elaborate on lower returns and the risks of lower returns? Yeah. So lower returns essentially it's when the property is going to return less than what you initially imagined. So that can either be the rental returns each month or it can be the profit once you've built and, and sold something on or done a development and refinanced and that's usually we're on two reasons firstly you didn't do your numbers correctly to start with so you looked at gross yield rather than net yield so you weren't looking at what you were going to get after all your costs or the market's changed um, the rents have, have reduced mortgage costs have increased you might taking something on a bridge you were going to net um, you know three grand a month it was going to be a seven percent yield for you you're now netting two grand a month and it's yeah. going to be a two percent yield for you etc etc so some mitigating things that you can do for that but ultimately that can sometimes just be up to the market and up to the changes in the market as we've seen recently quite a lot of landlords now are breaking even or will even make a loss with the increase in the mortgage rates because they've been so over leveraged and the rents haven't increased with the with the mortgage payments but it doesn't really matter if your returns are lower than what you thought especially if you've got all your money out of the deal and you can invest it into another property yeah. and again as i said over that time period that you're going to hold the asset the mortgage rates will come down at some point and the rents will increase so don't let it put you off and what are the risks with negative returns yeah so negative returns it's usually you're not going to buy a property that's going to give you a negative return straight away but it's a property where you've got a slim margin of around 100 pounds and most landlords do make between 100 to 300 pounds a month yeah. on a buy to let it's not a glamorous industry it's not a get rich quick scheme it's hard graft is being a landlord and there is not a lot of profit in it contrary to what you might hear in the left-wing media we're not all money-grabbing capitalists so my point there being is if you have a property and you're returning say 100 quid 200 quid at the minute you have to drop the rents you have a couple of void periods over and above what you would usually expect and can budget for yeah. your mortgage is increased the agents put the costs up etc etc insurance goes up that small slim return that you're making at the moment could then actually turn into negative and you're losing money so when george osborne brought in the tax changes for landlords when they were finally rolled out, a lot of landlords that were making small returns were then losing money on them. 
great for you guys because they're looking to offload them and you could buy the properties. It might be a three bed house and turn into five bed HMO and make more money, but it wasn't great for them at the time. So that's negative return. So now we're going to have a look at the risks from tenants and any potential unknown risks. Yes, yeah, so Rose, what, what do you think the risks would be from tenants? We've not heard from you yet, so I'd like you to jump in on this question. So in terms of risks from tenants, um, you know, the first point being, are they going to pay the rent? Are they going to be able to afford their rental payments each month? Um, and also, are they going to look after your property? Because if they are going to, you know, not respect the property in the way that you'd hope, of course, that's then going to add costs on the refurb. Um, and if they aren't paying their bills, you may then have to go through legal procedures, which again is, you know, your court costing. So that's all things that can potentially arise in terms of how your tenants can affect the risk of property. Yeah, so two of the biggest risks from tenants, they're gonna trash your property and they're not gonna pay the rent. So two ways you can mitigate that, rental guarantee insurance or renting your property to a rent guarantee company like one of our franchisees that offer rent guarantee through their rent to rent schemes that they run. It's a great way of mitigating that that loss. And also for the damage, just contents insurance that covers accidental damage on the property. And that's one of the two ways that you can mitigate that. So one of the points that people often bring up is regards to selling at a loss, selling your property at a loss. Yeah, so you could potentially sell at a loss. There's two ways you could sell at a loss. Firstly, it could be a quick flip that you've got into, but you haven't done the numbers right on it and you end up selling it for less than you purchased it for or less than the purchase price and the costs inclusive. Or you might have had a long-term buy to let, you bought it 150 grand and you've had to sell it quickly at 130. Yes, you've made an immediate loss on it, but you may have made 40, 50 grand over the last 15, 20, 30 years that you own the property for. So taking it to a big picture, looking at the business as a whole, you've actually still made a profit on it few ways that you can mitigate that firstly do your numbers and do your numbers correctly don't rush into a deal too often I see newbies just rushing into any old deal because they think it's cheap you'll see them go into the auctions Barn and Marcus also auctions other brands are available and they just jump in on something that looks like it's got old carpets you know it looks dated or they jump on something repossessed without doing the numbers because they think it's dated it needs work therefore I can make money on it and often it's not the case. I mean, as I've told you quite many times, Rose, the best deals I've had are the ones where I've literally just got to paint it, carpet yeah. it, and stick a tenant in because other people discount them because they don't think there's a profit in it because yeah. there's no work to do. So moving on from selling at a loss to unknown risks. So kind of unknown risks, and we've covered them earlier, would be market conditions. So you can mitigate for everything that you know about, but if something's gonna happen that you don't know about, then it's one of those unmitigated risks that unfortunately you're gonna to have to then deal with, which then could mean your business is running at a loss or you're breaking even or your time to profitability is gonna be much longer than you envisage. So, unknown risk rose. What happened in 2019? There was an unknown risk. Pandemic, obviously a lot of people didn't see the pandemic coming and it caused a massive change within the housing market. Um, it was something that a lot of people didn't foresee and looking back at the predictions in 2019, a lot of people predicted the house crash, the house prices to crash, which again didn't happen. Yep, and Boris Johnson famously said 2020 was gonna be a, a really positive year, a really big year and, yep. and growth and, and look how that went. So. That was a massive unknown risk was the COVID-19 pandemic. 
unfortunately a lot of businesses and a lot of property professionals did fall by the wayside they did go bust and they didn't didn't continue with their business but those who adapted and changed um, those who moved from working tenants to LHA tenants um, those who helped their working tenants get on benefits those who froze their mortgage payments over that period those who moved from single lets to SAs for locum nurses and doctors etc those who rented out their properties to the NHS to the government to to carry out testing even in some cases I've heard people who had car parks renting them out to the testing because so people weren't weren't traveling there within their cars so they lost that parking income but they gained from renting it to to the test and trace services so that was one of the biggest unknown risks we've had we've also had politics so we we look at the changes and the uncertainty we've had recently you know we've had three prime ministers and probably the space of maybe three four months um, yeah. off the top of my head um, we had Liz Trust who came in who wanted to really start a real libertarian manifest and rip up the rule books she wanted to ban the speed limits on the motorway she wanted to reduce taxation she wanted to go for growth all fantastic stuff all stuff that I'm 100% behind but now was the wrong time for it and yeah. you know the markets ultimately control the policies that government do and the markets took a dim view on it going for those kind of policies a few years down the line when we recovered from covid when russia wasn't bombing ukraine and we didn't have the energy crisis would have been a fantastic way to go and the markets probably would have reacted more positively to it but at the minute they didn't and what that's led to is higher interest payments for landlords higher mortgage costs for private individuals and ultimately it's going to spur on the downtrend that we're already seeing in the housing market however there are a lot of rewards that come with investing in property the first one being you know it's really easy to get started in it's really easy to get started you don't really need any experience you don't need a degree to get into property you know you don't need to be qualified i don't have many gcses and i've got quite a, a large property portfolio um i really had no knowledge i didn't do any property training i didn't go any business courses i didn't do anything like that I just bought the first property and jumped straight into it and have not looked back from there. As I said, you know, you don't need any qualifications, you don't need to be massively intelligent. So that brings me nicely on to Rose. So Rose, you've got three projects on the go at the minute. So I do, yeah. did you have any experience prior to that? Have you done any kind of knowledge, any training within property? Nope. So I didn't finish college. I didn't finish university. I do have a few more GCSEs than Pete does, but that still hasn't stopped me getting into property. I think one of the main things that you can do and the best things to do is just doing it. And that's the best way you're going to learn. You know, you can pay for all these courses and go on X, Y, Z, but inevitably the best way you're going to learn is just is just doing it yeah and ultimately what what you need to get started is the deposit monies if you haven't got the deposit monies you can raise those and um, buy a private investment you can yeah. look at something like source capital where we lend up to 100 percent of the purchase and, and development costs so if you haven't got the money there's ways and means to get the money and then you need the project you need excuse me you need the property to be able to go forward so there's not actually that many moving parts to get started no it's relatively easy and if it seems daunting to you if you ever bought a house if you've ever sold a house if you ever rented a property you're already part of the prs you're already part of the you know the private rental sector the property industry you've already had some part in it so it's not something that's alien to you 
everyone has had some part in property at some point absolutely um, and there's also great diversity that comes with property you know there isn't just one way of making money there's various different strategies in which you can make money from property so it gives a lot of opportunity for you to find a strategy that works well for yourself and that you know um, you enjoy most importantly yeah so, so as Rose touched on there's, there's various different strategies a lot of diversity within the industry lots of different schools of thoughts lots of different ways to invest you know you can look at commercial conversions do HMO conversions, you could just do bog standard boring buy to lets like I do. You could look at flips, you could look at doing a big development. There's also so many moving parts and so many different diverse strategies that you can get involved in. It's really quite an exciting space to be in. Um, you also get capital growth with your property. So this is where it's important as well to understand what is going on in the areas that you invest in. So one of the first points of calls when you are looking to invest in an area is going to the local councils page and see what their plans are because this will give you an indication as to what they're looking for in that area. Um, and also in terms of regeneration, what money they're getting pumped into that, that area, which in the long run will help with the capital growth of the property. Yeah, so if you're looking at long-term buy-to-lets, there's really two ways that you're going to make money. Firstly is in, in the cash flow, which is your next point where I was, I'm jumping ahead there. Um, so that's your monthly profit that you're going to make after all your costs. So the rent coming in, minus your mortgage, letting fees, etc. It's monthly cash flow. But the main reason, the big reason why people invest in it is for that capital growth. So they secure the property, they rent it out for a number of years, and then they look to sell it on for usually at least double what they've paid, maybe a bit more, depending on how long they've kept the property for. And you don't have to sell it at the end so people think my exit strategy is going to be i'm going to rent this property for a long term and then i'm just going to sell it use that equity to buy more so my properties have gone up substantially in value over the last couple of years because we've seen a real rally in house prices yeah. so i haven't sold them i just pulled the cash out and it's allowed me to buy even more and that brings me nicely on to our second to last point which is leverage so one of the reasons why I love the property industry over above any other industry is the ability to use leverage. So, you know, where else can you buy an asset, an undervalue, get leverage on it and use that to upscale into a larger asset and continue and continue like that. And what I mean by that, guys, is it's just a BRR strategy essentially. So you can use that leverage. You're gonna buy the property on a bridge. You're gonna use other people's money to do it or your own money for the upfront costs. It's going to increase in value. You're going to refinance at a higher rate or you're going to put that property up as security, i.e. leverage and continue to buy more properties and it can snowball from there. Property also you know, gives you a great opportunity to build wealth, whether it be wealth for yourself or generational wealth. It is a really great way of bringing capital into a business and passing that down to generations. Yes, property is one of the biggest ways that people in this country build wealth. So most of the wealth in this country is either in property or it's in pensions and people also make wealth free stocks and shares yeah. and options as well but property is one of the real solid ways that you can build wealth over a long term and you know over the last 50 years property has really pulled a lot of people up from poverty it's pulled a lot of people from being working class up to middle class etc because they've been able to buy their, their council houses and they've then sold those on for a profit, yeah. or they've been able to get 100%, you know, even 120% mortgages back in 2008, so allowed them to access that, that wealth in property and grow, grow that way. So it's a real good way of building a solid foundation for your wealth. You know, by all means diversify, have your Bitcoin, have your gold, have, you know, NFTs or whatever the, the hot thing is, but you always need some properties at the core of your wealth building strategy.
So although there are many risks in property, there's also far more rewards and it can be very, very lucrative for you. And it's not that hard to be very successful at it. Thank you for listening for the podcast today, guys. Hopefully you've learned a bit more about the risks and reward that come within working and investing within property. Remember the Source franchise is here to help you. We are the first and only franchise of our kind in the UK. We are much more than a training course. We are right behind you every step of the way, supplying with you the knowledge, the leads and the skills and the funding through our source capital to be able to invest and grow within property. To find out more, download the prospectus at sourcefranchise.co.